Welcome to Wild Women Who Write Take Flight. As women writers, we want to recognize the importance of supporting one another because together we are stronger. Our goal is to provide this support through discussions about developing character, setting, plot, and dialogue. We will include interviews, panel discussions, and informal chats. Our flight is organic and our journey is ongoing. We hope you will join us along the way. Welcome, Emily. Emily Carpenter is the critically acclaimed Amazon best-selling author of suspense novels, Burying the Honeysuckle Girls, The Weight of Lies, which received starred reviews by both Kirkus and Publishers Weekly, Every Single Secret, Until the Day I Die, all released by Lake Union. Her most recent release is Reviving the Hawthorne Sisters, which Publishers Weekly called a refreshingly modern Gothic tale and Kirk is called an exciting gothic tinge quest. After graduating from Auburn with a Bachelor of Arts in Speech Communication, she moved to New York City. She worked as an actor, producer, screenwriter, and behind-the-scenes soap opera assistant for the CBS shows As the World Turns and Guiding Light. And boy, would my grandmother have loved to talk to you, Emily. <laughs> she loved Guiding Light when it was time for her to watch her stories. We all had to settle down and be quiet. She said, y'all hush, my stories are on. She's also a member of Tall Poppy Riders, Mystery Riders of America, and Sisters in Crime. She was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Very qualified to write as she does. She now lives in Atlanta, Georgia with her family. You can visit Emily at emilycarpenterortha.com and on Facebook and Twitter at Emily D. Carpenter and Instagram at emily.d.c. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming to talk to us. Thanks for having me, y'all. I'm so excited to be here. I love this whole setup with the wild women, and I feel like I've been invited to a very exclusive club. Well, I don't know how exclusive we are, <laughs> but we're really glad that you're here. And I noticed that uh, in your introduction, your books are mystery and suspense, which I kind of felt that way too. But when I was researching you, I found that a lot of people refer to you as the queen of Southern Gothic. And I had to go back and, and say, well, what is that? Because I know Faulkner and, and that. But, but yours are, have a more modern feel to them, obviously. I was making a comparison, and there are some comparisons, especially with your first book, Bearing the Honeysuckle Girls, and your more recent one, Reviving Hawthorne Sisters. So I, I was looking at the characteristics, and I this one um, I thought was really pretty good for yours that a lot of your characters have these irrational and horrific thoughts. And one of the things I thought was pretty amazing about that is that they're from a woman's point of view. So they are particularly horrific for women. Did you have to dig deep for that or? Not at all. <laughs> I have many irrational and horrific thoughts of my own. <laughs> I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, joking aside, that's kind of what has drawn me to this very gothic, dark fiction is um, exploring the thoughts that I know I have and we all, I feel like a lot of women have in the context of, you know, dysfunctional families, maybe, or just different aspects of our society that are um, difficult to navigate. And so I love bringing all that kind of darkness and just 
just a lot of secret hidden things, bringing that out on the page and kind of having my characters have to deal with it. You know, a lot of us, we have those, those, we have flaws, we have secrets, we have difficulties, but we just deal with them every day. We go to work, we take care of our kids, we, you know, keep our families running and, you know, but in my books, like everything stops, <laughs> everything breaks down and it's, it's a lot more dramatic. So for me, it's almost cathartic to write about some of that because I just get all this angst out, you know, on the page. Yeah. Well, angst is the perfect um, segue because that's one of the characteristics of Southern Gothic is that angst-ridden sense of self, or of alienation. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was really strong in all of your books. But in the when you go back into the mountains with the honeysuckle girls, that sense of alienation was almost claustrophobic. And if, which is weird because I find mountains kind of claustrophobic. I don't know if that's uh, a thing or not. But in that book, because they were so isolated and so alienated, that was just to me, that was horror. Uh, yeah. You know? And yeah. And I will, it's funny that you say that because I have always found mountains claustrophobic as well. And something about like you're tucked in the side of a mountain and you're, go you don't know what's around the corner. You know, you drive around these little windy roads. And to me, that really lends itself to that feeling of claustrophobia and also, you know, what could be lurking around the corner. Definitely. And yeah, in Burying the Honeysuckle Girls, um, especially like the, um, it's a dual narrative, right? So one part of the story is set in the 1930s when you know, this one character, Jen, has a lot of gifts as a businesswoman and an entrepreneur and just a creative being. And she's really sort of held down. And she's she's in this mountain community that not only um, is very traditional, but in some ways they're they're backward, you know. Yeah. And I was there's a line. It's it's one of your last lines in the Honeysuckle Girls where you talk about women having gifts, the gifts of heat touch and the gifts of knowing and the gift of healing. And also you talk in that book about inconvenient women. And I wondered if the whole idea of the inconvenient woman is tied in with a kind of jealousy or a resentment from your male characters of women who have those gifts. Yeah, I mean, that's exploring a, a much larger question, like, why have women been oppressed throughout all eras, you know, um, for thousands of years? And I think, I think the answer is obvious, um, because we are equal to men. And um, our gifts may be different, or we may use them differently. But those gifts of intuition are strong and they can be labeled as other things. I think a lot of times, like perhaps witchcraft, <laughs> you know, there's right. just a strong thing that women have, I think, that can be really intimidating. Yes, Kim. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about a line from the story 
Well, it made me think about when I was in film school back in college, they were talking about the horror genre. And again, we're kind of getting into that comparison, but they said, what do all, well, most of the women in the horror genre have in common when they're murdered? They usually have men's names that, well, that could go either way, like Alex, Bailey, Sam, and they usually get murdered right after they've had sex. Mm. And it's almost as if to say that they are being punished for their sexuality or as if to say that they are being punished for being in the place of a man or sort of taking on the role of a man. And so without being too much of a spoiler here, <laughs> one of the characters says, and, and hey, you can correct me if I'm quoting this line wrong, shy don't set the world on fire, and then she's killed. Was that purposeful? Did you sort of have that theme in mind in a sense that she's being punished for being her dynamic self, that she's almost usurping the role of a man and she pays for it. Yeah. In the same sense. For sure. I mean, I, I think, and, and you'll notice too in horror films, when else, when, when are the other times that the young women get killed? It's when they're adventurous, they go into the basement to see what's going on. Or they venture, you know, and you yep. say, don't do that, don't do that. But they're being brave and venturing out and exploring and, and, and they and pay for it. They have, yes. to, they have to be punished for that. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, uh, Jen, like I said, she was an entrepreneur. She figured out a way to make a business out of her gift and her, her way with um, making this honeysuckle wine. And it came to her very easily. And I think that was very threatening to the men in her family and community. Well, your main characters also have that um, flawed personality or flawed character traits or, or they feel like they're flawed. I'm not always sure that they are flawed so much as the product of alienation, the product of their environment. But when you're developing your characters and the flaws, I think I think almost all your books are first person. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we're having to depend on the narrator to tell us her flaws. Do you see that as a little unreliable or I feel like we can trust them, but that could be part of the trick. So, yeah, I think you've hit it on the, um, the hit the nail on the head. I think that. That is why I use first person is because I personally can relate to that is that, you know, we all tend to believe we're more flawed than we are probably unless you're a sociopath, <laughs> Which, you know, then you think you're fine, right? <laughs> then you think you're great. But, but the point is, I think all of my main characters and you know, it's funny, recently I got a question on Goodreads, you know, people can ask you questions. And this person said, um, I think they had read Honeysuckle Girls, and they said, you know, that Althea was a born loser. She was like, why did you tell this story about this? You know, and I could I could tell it was a little belligerent. I don't know if she didn't enjoy the book. and But, you know, that was interesting to me that because Althea had these addiction issues and she had um, 
this unreliable memory that she wasn't sure if she, even she could trust, you know, that this reader sort of judged her for being a loser. And I, I just thought that was really powerful, too, on the level of, you know, how do we view each other? How do we look at other people who have addiction issues and are struggling and may look like, you know, they're not doing well or they can't hold a job or whatever. And my tendency, I mean, I, I can get frustrated with people in my life as much as the next person, but my tendency with my characters is to really go to that place of empathy and to say like, why? You know, what's happened to this young woman that got her to this point? Mm -hmm. And then try to, by the end of the book, you know, have her overcome some like incredible odds or some challenge or whatever and like patch up a relationship or something. I'm, I'm definitely all about not perfect happy endings, but like redemptive. Um, stories and, and satisfying endings I have to say but could you were saying that about the woman I really do and I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to spin it into something positive but I thought you know this touched a nerve <laughs> and I don't mind doing that a little bit you know because I get mad too I mean I read books and I get mad and I throw them <laughs> across the rim and then I'm like mm, <laughs> maybe it maybe I something to think about <laughs> right Maybe I should look inside. <laughs> and uh, I won't give away the ending, but it's a very explosive ending in the Honeysuckle Girls. And even in the end, when um, Althea could have been completely justified in reveling in the way things were turning out, she still tries to help someone, mm -hmm. uh, someone that as a cold-hearted reader, I don't want to help. I was very happy. So um, it, it, you add a lot of dimension to her. and. In developing the way you did, you you talk of you let us think about the reliability, and the idea that whose version can we really know when we look at the past, mm -hmm. and when we tell our own stories, uh, you know about our own past, they change. You know when we tell it what to one group, we may tell it differently or think about it differently. We don't do it on purpose, so it's very hard to get that out. I thought that was really true in your book until I die. I thought that whole business of not being able to know, not being able to touch base on the past and, and how much that influences the present and the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we all, I mean, I say we all, but I will say that I know I have three siblings and there've been many a, an occasion where I'm like, here's the way I remember this happening. Do you remember it the same way? And it's not, they remember it somewhat differently you know, because they were different ages or coming from different. So I find memory very interesting. Yeah. Or something yeah. that you don't even remember at all. Right. But yeah. you, and you're like, I can't believe I don't you're remember like that. that. I have no, you yeah. know, it's not a lie, but you don't know why you can't remember it. And then you think about it and I do know why. So I feel like you've got that mystery within the mystery going on always with your characters that way. The one, um, the weight of lies it's a cool thing that you do there because the going back and forth in time, that's got to be challenging. And it requires, did you do a lot of research in the mountain people with the mountain people? Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. I had, um, 
before I wrote books, I really wanted to write movies. So back when I was in television in the 90s, that was kind of my goal was I was going to be a screenplay writer and write movies. And, and it really turned out to be a much harder business to break into than I first imagined. Um, but one of the screenplays that I wrote was based on the true story of Arthur Woody, who was the first um, national forest ranger in Georgia. After, um, during the depression, like after North Georgia had been completely timbered and there were no trees left and there were no um, deer, no wildlife, he was the first guy and he kind of brought the forest back. And it's a really great story, but it just so happened that I did a lot of research about the mountains of North Georgia in the 30s. So I kind of had that. So when I wrote Honeysuckle Girls, I was like, I'm just going to set it in North Alabama, which is close, you know, same. So I know I that has kind of been my, my linchpin is the Great Depression in the South. I've done a lot of research. And I think that really shows with, especially in that and reviving the Hawthorne mm -hmm. sisters for sure. But um, in the weight of lies, you did that with having a book within a book, which I th think is always such a cool thing. So why did you decide to do that or did it just evolve? Well, I think it was because my, um, so it was very organic to the story. The author character, she was going to be this kind of iconic diva-like like a Daniel Steele, like super famous or Stephen King or whatever, very well known, but she was well known for only one book. She was almost like a one hit wonder. And so I, as I kind of built her character, I thought I, I really want to include excerpts from this book she's written. And the thing that <clears throat> appealed to me about this was that I didn't, I, I kind of figured out as I was going along, like maybe this was not the best book either. Like maybe she was not the best writer. <laughs> and, and it was one of those books that was kind of cheesy, but that sort of hit the zeitgeist and everybody loved it. And it was the most popular and it just blew up. So I start that really appealed to me and sounded really fun. So to kind of write in that it was, so she had written it in the 70s. So to kind of write in that 70s vernacular and the style of horror books in the 70s, but kind of cheesy and bad, was really fun. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I was like, this is fun to like, I don't know. It's like somebody with a beautiful singing voice pretending they can't, you know, they can't sing. They can't sing. Singing badly. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the other part to that with the, the character who's exploring herself through that book um yes then then it's kind of like there comes the horror in the midst of all the cheese yeah. and the yeah the, oh and um, i just realized i compared myself to somebody with a beautiful singing voice so. <laughs> well that's perfectly good i mean i don't know <laughs> and nobody here argued so that's right. let's see i'm looking at also most of your most of your books have the family secrets. And I looked at this sentence uh, from Leo Tolstoy's uh, Anna Karenina. And he says, everybody's heard it. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. 
And I'm thinking, do you think all families, happy and unhappy, have these dark secrets? I, I'm of a certain age that I feel like there is not a family that does not have a secret. <laughs> I'll just well, and maybe what I'll makes them happy is they don't know the secret. You know that yeah. yes, or they've all agreed not to talk about right. it, and and that's a way of being happy is to just let it go. deny yeah. Yeah. Or, or let it go. Yeah, or they've all gotten great therapy, <laughs> group therapy. Yeah, there. I don't know. Or they're avoidant. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you have, especially in the Honeysuckle Girls, quite a few murders. Uh, are they fun to write, or are they hard? Or well, and some of the people you're murdering, we don't want to see go. So that's a little that's sadness too. How how does that yeah. play out? Well, so that was my first book, or my first published book, and definitely the first book that had murders or right. deaths in it. And um, I did not have difficulty writing <laughs> people that I felt like <laughs> a person that I felt like re I really wanted to live and to have a chance. Um, that actually is the only time I have ever felt really emotional. And I don't know if I cried. I'm not really much of a crier, but I will say it was difficult to write and I felt emotional about it and had to take some time because it felt very like, you know, I mean, these kind of things happen and violence against innocent people happens. And it, it that is hard to write. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah. we, you, I'm sure we didn't want to say goodbye and right. I'm sure you didn't want to say I goodbye didn't. either. Yeah. So that, that makes it, that does make it really hard. And okay, let's every single secret. Um, you don't have the gothic mansion house, but you've got that really bizarre, um, uh, what is it like a retreat sort of, but a psychological retreat? I don't, I don't remember what you call yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a couples therapy retreat, but it is, there is a gothic mansion. It happens right. in an old Victorian house in the mountains again. So the claustrophobia of the yes. mountains plus the old house. Plus the hidden cameras. <laughs> and they don't know. I can remember at some point she figures out they're hidden cameras. No, they know. They they're, know. They're told that. So I based this actually on a real form of marriage therapy Whoa. that John got and his wife. And, and now I haven't. It's been a while since I've written this book. But they um, are very upfront with their... Uh, clients or patients and they say like we're going to observe how you interact as a couple and then that gives them sort of information to say and and it's really actually um, they could predict divorce like in the way that the couple interacted just you know reading the newspaper having breakfast I found that fascinating mm -hmm. and so um, that kind of gave me the idea that that this therapist is like doing the same thing and so yes they're aware but it does make them act a little differently and then yes daphne discovers the feed the video feed of some of the other patients yeah there yeah very very <laughs> uh very creepy and yes. and uh, 
uh, some pretty interesting twists and turns in there. Uh, I like the way you present the idea of the struggling with reconciling the past uh, to the present and the future. The quote I really liked from that one was that the past was like the surface of a crazy mirror. When you spoke certain things aloud and they left your mouth, they changed. The words became either oddly magnified, blown out of proportion, or squeezed down to nothing. Right could appear wrong, good could appear, could look like evil, depending on the spin. No one talked about their past without getting things distorted and without consequences. There were always consequences, which I thought was really uh, interesting concept that even if you're not intentionally misrepresenting the past, there's going to be consequences. Yeah, I, I and I love the idea of this couple who both of them have these really sort of complicated pasts and painful pasts, and they when they meet and fall in love, they kind of make a pact and decide they're not going to share their stories. And I'll, you know, if you've ever seen um, Jerry Maguire that movie. And, you know, Tom Cruise goes on a date with Renee Zellweger, the characters, and, and um, she says, let's not tell our sad stories. And I think about that a lot. Like, I mean, the truth is you have to tell your sad stories to know a person to some degree. And if you hide those things as much as you wish you could hide those things, you don't know the other person. But Daphne and Heath are young and in love and. They don't know that. <laughs> no, they don't know it. <laughs> they do kind of find it out. Yes. Yeah. That was a, a, a really interesting, some really interesting twists in that one. Um, also, um, until you, you kind of depart, I thought, from the gothic thriller in Until the Day I Died, but that island place was almost gothic in, in a way. So you have, you have a woman who knows a lot about coding, and I didn't find anything in your background that you'd ever been a coder. So how did you pull I know that nothing. off? Yeah. Like, I completely, that was like total research and just faking it. And interviewing people, I um, interviewed a guy that I know out in California who has um, worked for several game apps and, and created a lot of games. Zynga, I think, was the company that he created and he really kind of helped me and um i have a couple of beta readers who are computer people and coder and i was just like you know um this doesn't you don't so when you go when you write a person like this you don't have to go into like too much detail i feel like you can kind of skim the sur surface i mean nobody wants to read about like intense coding <laughs> um, processes, you know. Yeah, there's but, not going to be much of an intersection no, between no, no, no. your readers and So you just want to give a little sprinkling so that it just sounds um, accurate. And hopefully I did that. But uh, I don't, you're, you're, you could fool me, but I did some <laughs> I'm reading. I'm sure like. I, I did some reading of people who apparently did know and they said, you, you did a good job. Oh, good. So. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> I'm sure there was, I mean, you know, we all see like movies and stuff about writers and you're always like, oh, you, they get it wrong. Yeah. But, and, and you really don't want to do that. That's right. a fear. And then at, you sort of came back to your 
I don't want to say root, gothic roots, but you came back with the Hawthorne sisters to something that is much more clearly, I would say, gothic mm-hmm. and and um, fits most of the, the tropes and the themes. So um, it's not a sequel, but it's kind of a return to the background stories and the the characters. Tells us more about the characters without taking it like here's what happened next so what yeah it's almost like it's almost like so it's set up just like honeysuckle Mm -hmm. girls with the dual narrative and the um 1930 story is actually a prequel to honeysuckle girls and then the present day is the sequel so you know it like encompasses both timelines but what it really does is it enlarges the story of dove jared who was um, the original Honeysuckle Girl in the first book. And it's kind of her story, like how she started off at Pritchard Hospital, the, uh, the asylum in Alabama, the state hospital, and how she escaped there and what she did after that and kind of how she became the woman that you meet in the Honeysuckle Girls. So she always fascinated me because I, when I wrote her in Honeysuckle Girls, I thought she's interesting because I feel, I felt like everything she said was maybe a lie (laughs) or like slightly embellished. I was like, I can't even tell as I'm writing this, like, she's one of those people that you're like, you always are like, you're not telling me the whole story. And I was fascinated by her. Like, why would she be lying and what does she have to hide and yeah well and that goes back to the whole thing of when we tell the story of the past we might change it a little each time and we believe it and as it changes eventually uh, a lot changes the maybe yeah. the whole meaning of it and, and sometimes it becomes your truth right right yeah. if you tell that lie enough it becomes your truth and that can also often tell you more about your character than the real truth Agreed. Yeah, so that that's what's really fun about them. Well, I really enjoyed your books. Uh, I have to say, I read them um, some of them longer ago, so I had to go back and do some research <laughs> and some reminding. I do too. I like know. when you remind well, me, I'm like, I can't remember. Oh, and it's <laughs> sad. You're like, how could I forget that character's name? I love her. But uh, anyway, I, I really have enjoyed them, and I enjoyed uh, making that comparison between the idea of the new neo-Southern Gothic and what yeah. we thought of as Southern Gothic. Because yeah. I always think of Faulkner, and I don't know if you read the short story, Rose for Emily, mm. but geez, that is such a killer mm. and such a perfect example. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, your books can give that same sort of chill of uh, recognition. You know, you're like, oh, dear. Thank you. But uh, I don't want to be doing all the talking, which I've already pretty much done. So I would like to know, uh, anybody have some questions that I didn't cover or some questions that you just want to know? What are you writing now? Do you have something coming out? Um, it's not. Um, there's no publication date yet. But, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, writing a book called Crimson and the Gaslight. And it is about... Um, two young women with a connection to an old house in Birmingham, Alabama. And one of them is named Crimson. And um, she has some issues um, 
she is a ghost or believes herself to be a ghost or maybe a ghost or, and so she, um, she meets another woman in the house and then it turns out there's a third woman obsessed with this house. So it's like, why are they all obsessed with the house and what's going on with Crimson and sort of their friendship. That sounds sounds good. (laughs) I like that. It was fun to write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, houses, um, they seem to place seems to have a very, it's almost like the house or the immediate area is, is a character of its own. And uh, when I think of Southern Gothic, of course, I think of the Deep South and uh, the mystique that's a part of it, the, the uh, Spanish moss mm-hmm. and, and uh, the overarching theme of, like you said, family secrets, that people are dealing so much with their past hidden secrets and that apparently, because I must own up, I, I haven't read your books yet, but I certainly intend to. Um, the first first part of uh, Burying the Honeysuckle Rose, in the first couple of pages, you, I received a sense of place. The, 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 the shelves on the driveway, in a small amount of time, you talked about her past, what she had to deal with with a family, how much time had gone by. And then she describes, and I can see it and smell it, the mist, the smell that she was in. And that's remarkable. And I'm assuming you bring that skill to all of your books. Oh, thank you. How much of that is your personal experience? Do you, how it's- much of your books are your personal experience? Um, well, definitely the setting and the sense of place is my personal experience. And thank you for saying that because, um, that, I mean, that's really, that's really nice compliment. And, and I appreciate that. And, um, and I work hard at it because like I have lived different places. I've lived in Connecticut. I've lived in New York. I've, I've lived down South. Um, I haven't lived out West, but obviously traveled and, Y'all know, I mean, the United States is a big country, right? And and within our country, different states feel different. They smell different. You know, you get a different vibe. Um, The accents are different. I mean, we all know how varied this big country is. So I grew up in Alabama, and my mom's family is from mobile that Mm -hmm. very very deep south spanish moss you know shell driveway and the smell of the river and in the humidity and so i have experienced that as part of my childhood and growing up and and then we you know experience the kind of those southern mountains you know that's a different feeling and the city atlanta and birmingham that feels different Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's real important like I, I feel like I have this twofold goal when I'm writing these settings. One of them is to um, sort of affirm and perpetuate that mythology that that Faulkner and um, Flannery O'Connor and Eudora Welty and all these like incredible Southern writers, you know, that I would 
aspire to, you know, be like, but that they set in place. And Harper Lee. Harper Lee. <laughs> yeah, they set in place that sort of like you're in a different place now and the rules are different here and people behave differently. And, you know, but then my second fold job, I feel like, is to make something new and is to say, you know, it's not the stereotype you think it is. It's different. Yeah. Um, so it's the same, but it's different. So anyway, I just, yeah, I love that. And I love creating a scene that feels very particular. But you could do that in every, like every single state in this country has a, a very unique character to New it. New York. Yeah. We talk about the claustrophobia of the mountains, but in New York, you have the claustrophobia oh, yeah. of these tall buildings that sometimes can feel like you're just hemmed in. Yeah. And they call it the canyons yeah, yeah. of New York. Yeah. And that's a sense that I had when I was young, too. Right. Small and these monstrous towering buildings. yeah i can't imagine being small in manhattan yeah. <laughs> right. i think everybody's small in well manhattan. this is true <laughs> but like <laughs> i mean really small yeah well um did do you want to ask is there anything we didn't ask that you would like to ask yourself oh i would like to ask myself so much. why why am i doing this it's so hard so, as we were saying, it's very nice to meet you, Emily. Um, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about um, some female characters that had gifts that made them an inconvenient woman. And so that made me wonder if your gift for writing in your own life has ever made you feel like that you were an inconvenient woman? Did it ever make you feel alienated because maybe you knew some secrets? And so I was just, you know, seeing how this might all tie together for you. That is a brilliant question. And um, wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think so. And you know what? I've never thought about that, but I think you're right. And I think all of us who write, we are observers, right? Yeah. And that makes us that sets us apart from the crowd. So when you're an observer, you're isolated because you have to be, um, but you feel that. And I think I've talked to a lot of writers and I feel this, that kind of feeling that I'm in my own world, I'm by myself. You know, nobody really understands what's in my head because of course they can't, you know, they're, they're not, in the world I'm, I'm in, in my head. And, um, I'm working through either plot problems or, you know, even deeper problems of theme and meaning and what I want to do through this book. And, oh my gosh, do I want to make art? <laughs> Can I say that out loud that I'm making art? Does that make me inconvenient? You know, will people look at me funny? Definitely. If I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I say that I'm attempting to make art and, um, yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, that's a great question because also too, when people find out you're a writer, like in your place of business or your family, you know, I'll never forget, um, when I 
told my family that my first book was coming out. It was Easter and we were having dinner and my brother said to everyone, y'all don't say anything cause she'll put you in a book. <laughs> and you know, the truth is yes and no, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think as a writer, we all feel a little inconvenient and yeah, that's incredibly perceptive um, question. Perhaps I, I do I put some of that on the page. Yeah. People who, you know, characters who feel like outsiders. They were made for Southern Gothic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I mean, honestly, that's the human condition, I think, is that to some degree, all of us feel like outsiders and we want to feel like we belong to a family or to a found family or a community. And to me, that's the story that I tell, like, you know, you mentioned, you know, they're all a part of these broken families. And that's the story that I find myself telling over and over again is, you know, these characters finding their family or finding their community and finally feeling like, you know, this is where I belong. So well, that is a perfect wrap up because I feel like that's what Wild Women Who Write is all about. Uh, if we are inconvenient, and I suppose we all are, then we can at least be inconvenient together and support each other and speak out for each other and read each other's books and just um, enjoy the fact that we do have this community. So thanks so much for joining us, Emily. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope that uh, you'll come back sometime or just be, you'll become one of our wild women. Uh, listen, <laughs> an open invitation. <laughs> And I, I feel wild already. <laughs> it's the wine. We're good at that. It's yeah. the wine. Well, uh, we hope that everyone uh, enjoyed Emily as much as we did and are enjoying her. And we will hear from you soon if you've got comments or questions. Um, and thanks again.